Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast. My name is Brandon Marsh. And I'm Sam Voss. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I mean, it's a work in progress, but we hope you enjoy it. This is a new thing for us. <laughs> Very new. <laughs> so the goal of this, if you're listening, is really to just help you get to know who we are as a business, what we do for the community, kind of what we're trying to set ourselves up to do as a business and why we think we're different. Um, so that kind of gets into the conversation that we were just having, right? Exactly. So we had an interview with a candidate yesterday and he was talking to us about where he previously worked in the automotive industry. And he was talking about how, man, it's just, he said things like this, it's just hard to explain, like it's just dark it's cutthroat, like people don't look out for like you. Every man for himself. Yeah. Which would you say that's That's a hundred percent accurate for everywhere else I've ever worked, which isn't too many places, but right. basically I've worked in the dealership world for sure. ten years. Yeah. Um started out at Gage Motor Mall, got bought out by the Bettons. Yep. Yeah. Started working for the preferred group yep. through Chrysler. Um, yeah, it's unless you find like you know you might have like one good buddy you mm-hmm. know that you guys help each other advance you know like one guy will have a problem that yeah you, that he's struggling with and you can kind of lend a hand sure and then next time you have a problem he'll lend a hand and it kind of goes back and forth but whenever you know you get up and coming guys yep especially ones with bad attitudes i mean there's a lot of guys that come out of school you know they mm-hmm. they think they know a lot more than what they actually do yeah and it really kind of pins everybody against each other everyone starts getting grouped off mm-hmm. and it's even worse between departments like mm. This is the one thing I don't want to happen here, mm-hmm. which I don't think Chris will ever let that happen. Right. But, you know, service is its own, and you're pushing against sales. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, screw these guys. I'm going to charge them more or something. Sure. Same with Body Shop. You know, everyone's fighting each other when you're all part of the same organization. And honestly, you need sales to sell cars. Right. To have that future work. Yeah. You need body to correct, you know, blemishes on vehicles that you're sure. trying to sell and recondition so yeah. they can get more money out of them and they're more willing to sure. put the money into you for fixing them. So do you think, I mean, okay, so just talk to us a little bit about your background then because obviously when we talk about doing this podcast, we laughed a little bit because obviously I have zero automotive experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like when did you start to get into the automotive industry and i guess just walk me through that so basically when i was 18 my parents were totally against me working on cars i always (laughs) i always loved cars like you know the fast and furious movies back in the day Mm. loved them oh you know and i was like always wanted to work on cars but my parents were like you know what that's a waste of time and money you know i wanted Mm. to at the time, you know, I wanted to do stupid things like cut my muffler off. You sure. Know, oh, yeah. Make it just dumb. Classic. You want yeah. to go down Grand Haven past the beach and just... You know, exactly. And it's... <laughs> and always wanted to make something faster, even if it was a 94 Grand Prix with an automatic. Sure. You know, and uh, so 
once I moved out, I was staying with my girlfriend's dad at the time. So I had like no money. Sure. And the only way I could make money fast, because I was working like a factory job early in the morning, wasn't paying that good. Mm -hmm. I was buying cars. Like I bought a couple Honda Civics from people with bad engines. And I was buying engines off eBay and putting them in these cars that I bought for like a couple hundred dollars. Sure. And then selling them. Oh, nice. So I would make, you know, 1500 to right. two grand off yeah. a car, which when you're a teenager, like just getting out of high school mm-hmm. is huge. Oh, yeah. And uh, so... How long, I, would that, how long would a job like that take you? Uh, probably a week. Oh, really? At that time, yeah, because I would... So basically, I would work, and then I still had school. So then after after school, you know, I would probably stay up till 11, midnight. Sure. Just working on cars. Yeah. And then I got into drifting a little bit, just a fun little hooligan type <laughs> thing to do. And this was back when Nissans were really cheap, like two forties. Okay. And I would, you know, I did. I had a hatchback. I swapped SR twenty into, and basically welded a diff in it, and just would have fun. And there was a guy down the road, and he was an older guy. Probably at the time, he was near retirement. So he had a bunch of vehicles he wanted work done to. And he's like, saw me working late at night, you know, garage door open. And he's like, hey, can you work on this stuff for me? And I was like, "Uh, I can give it a shot, you know? Yeah. And so I worked on his stuff. And then I had friends bothering me all the time. Like, hey, can you come check this out? And I'm like, I knew nothing. You know? Yeah, I was was going to say, so people are... Like, how were you learning? Were you, like, watching YouTube videos, or what were you doing? Oh, YouTube videos, I was just honestly tinkering around a lot. Sure. And the biggest thing was, so I was doing all this, finally got a job at Gage Motor Mall as an oil changer. Okay. And then I met my buddy Scott, and he was, you know, a master Chrysler and everything, so he's the one that really grew my knowledge. Mm. Because now I have someone credible to bounce right. ideas off of. Oh, yeah. And uh, so everyone was telling me, you know, you should do this for a living. You know, you are you have a skill. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't want to, like, this was my hobby. Right, yeah. I didn't want to wreck, like, my love for it, you yeah. know. And I never, ever thought I would make a living doing it. Sure. And then working with Scott throughout the years, you know, I would just help him on things. Right. You know, whether it was doing cylinder heads or anything yeah. like that. And I started seeing, like, he he basically showed me, he's like, you can make a great living doing this. Mm-hmm. You just got to work hard. Right. You know, and be open-minded to right. learn. You know, don't just close yourself off at doing one yeah. thing. And I was like, man, this... This could be something, and I kind of just fell into it, mm. and I was going for uh, to school for CAD at okay, the time, yeah. and I had like my first few real CAD classes mm-hmm. where I sat in front of a computer all day, and it was terrible. <laughs> I was like, I love the creative outlet, <laughs> right. but I need to move But around. you probably feel like you get the creative outlet a little bit working with cars. 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah, especially here more than anything, because, you know we don't have factory backing. We don't have, 
engineers to help us you right. know so a lot of it is everyone working together yeah and trying to come up with a solution that right maybe thinking outside of the box like hey you know we got this issue this isn't available right what can we do to correct this oh yeah what you're saying <clears throat> i wanted to jump in like four times so i was like oh you started talking about you talked about a lot of things right like culture having like somebody come alongside you and help like all these things obviously I didn't work <laughs> I know nothing about cars <laughs> like well this is terrible but okay so I was driving a lot vehicle back from Martin for a swap and it started beeping at me and I was like oh gosh and like I'm I'm I get super nervous because obviously I don't want anything to happen if I'm in a lot vehicle yeah. you know like that's the last thing I need to have so I called Jason and I was like, hey, I'm in, you know, this stock number and it's beeping at me. Is there something going on? Can you check Process Pro? Like, should I be, should I pull over? Should I not drive it? And he was like, Sam, it's a lane departure. Like, you're just, you're just, you're, he's like, you're swerving and not staying in the lane. And then I like tested it. I was like, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. But that's how much I know about cars, right? Yeah. I'm not even staying in the lane. And it starts beeping at me, and I think, like, it's going to blow up. Right. Right? Yeah. So, obviously, like, my experience was I worked in ministry for 10 years in the state of Michigan in, in downtown Chicago and loved it. <clears throat> but, like, my job here more is that, you know, culture, people kind of side. And even what you're saying is probably one of the most important things because I see that all the time. Like, guys helping other guys which everybody's been telling me that is foreign in this industry. Like a lot of people don't do that. Is it just because it's like you go out and get your money, I'll go out and get my money and that, then we're done. Exactly. Kind Cause it's so to bring it back to the dealership, they have basically, or a lot of them are starting to do this just because there's, it's hard to find text, but sure. they're doing apprentice programs. Yep. So mainly a lot of them will set it up like, hey, you know, we have this young guy and by young, I mean, he might be in his 30s, but just getting into the sure. automotive world. Yep. And so basically if they're paying him, let's say roughly 15 bucks an hour. So he works 40 hours a week. You know, you pay him hourly as a mm -hmm. flat rate tech. You get paid for the job. But at the end of the week or the end of the two weeks, however right. you're paid, You'll pay that guy his $15 an hour, but they will, every hour he turns is billed at your flat rate. Sure. So that way you're getting all the money, but you're training him. Sounds great short term. Sure. But dealership mentality, as soon as they see that guy turning anything remotely decent on hours, well, they look at it this way, like, hey, we could pay this guy an extra five bucks an hour, keep him mm. hourly, and he will produce more for us than the technician. Oh, wow. So now you train this guy. You taught him things. You let him use your tools. Right. And now he's taking work from you. Yeah. So now you just created your own enemy. <laughs> that sucks. So, and that's, you know... Short-term, awesome. Long-term, right. I was always kind of leery because especially January, February, every dealership slows slows, slows way down. Right. And being flat, I've had it multiple times going into the dealership. I don't touch a car till like noon. Sure. 
you know, and then all of a sudden you're scrambling till six, seven o'clock at night right. to make your hours for the day. Mm. And then obviously if you have a younger guy coming up, now he's taking a lot of like, you right. know, the quote unquote gravy work, you know, radiators or all the basic maintenance stuff, you know, right. and then you're stuck with the heavy warranty jobs that don't really yeah. pay too well. And So you would say, <clears throat> I mean, obviously we're in, we're in different roles here, but you would say that that doesn't happen here. No. No. Absolutely not. So I'm currently, um, we have Billy. Right. So that we're training. He was 19. Yeah. Basically, there's always an avenue of work here sure chris as a boss will never let any of these guys run out of work yeah and i feel like i don't want to cut you off but chris always tells me like hey we have 60 you know because the company in general right so you got marn nunica midwest and oil change 60 employees and chris is like i'm people are relying on me for their families to be fed. You know what I mean? Right. Like Holly even like will call me sometimes and I'll be like, this is why I'm so glad I'm not a business owner. <laughs> you know? Because like the stress of what they're handling is exactly what you're saying. Like if you guys don't have work, you got six guys down there that aren't feeding their families that week to an extent. Right. So, but like keep going about Billy. You're talking about yeah. Billy and... Or to add to that, yeah. you know, you don't want to lose your good guys. Right. So if you run low on work, you know, you you keep feed, <coughs> feeding these other guys. Yeah. And your main guy is, like, starving. He's going to go mm-hmm. somewhere else. Someone's going to offer him more money. Yeah. <coughs> Which we've had people, like, Chris was telling me that. It's just, I mean, we're not, like, trying to be like, hey, Price Trade Auto is the best place in the world. No. Because every dealership every company has its things that it's trying to get better at but i feel like there's a lot of transparency here and even transparency to an extent where like somebody will get a a job offer where they might make more money but they stay here because they're like i know the automotive industry well enough that if i go somewhere else i might not be in the same environment that i'm in here yeah you won't have as much control sure you know, Chris is really, I mean, he listens. Right. Which is amazing. I mean, you talk to any other owner and they pretend to listen. You know, if you're mm. if you're upset about something, they'll lend an ear yeah. to make it seem like they're involved. And right. then you never hear anything of it ever again. You know, months, years go by and nothing changes. I said changes. this... Um text uh, Holly and Chris the other night because I saw this quote come up on LinkedIn and it says it's Adam Grant who I don't know who that is but I feel like I need to give him credit (laughs) Uh, he says a boss looks for reasons to say no a leader looks for reasons to say yes a boss issues orders and demands loyalty a leader gives direction and takes responsibility a boss expects to be the most important person in a room a leader makes everyone feel important did you send that to Chris? Yeah. Dang, he sent that to me. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. Because my thing, but my thing is like, I feel like we don't have a lot of boss. I mean, sure, we have people who are in charge of different departments here, yeah. but the bossiness or like, I rarely see people like, hey, make sure, you know what I mean? It just doesn't feel. It's not, 
Yeah, it's not the typical exactly. Whatever you want to say. Like no one's on a pedestal versus anybody else. Mm -hmm. Everyone like you can ask Chris, the owner, be like, "Hey, I'm struggling with this trash." Sure. You know, and he will help you take the trash out. Right. He'll stop what he's doing to help you. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's unheard of, and that's that's why we never have to worry. And that's why, I mean, me personally, I work so hard Mm -hmm. to make sure everyone's has it better than what I remember starting out as like Billy trying to make sure, you know, he's actually learning something Mm -hmm. and not thinking, you know, it's going to be detrimental in the future. Right. Like most apprenticeships. Yeah. And that's where having always having the work is a big deal oh yeah and don't get me wrong we're gonna slow down we have before yeah but we always find a way which is really cool the um when i was talking to that we were talking to that guy yesterday that uh guy that we interviewed Mm -hmm. excuse me and he was saying he was asking us about culture and what it's like to work here because obviously he was talking about where he was before and how it was just a tough environment, right? So then we start talking about the environment here. And I told him, <clears throat> we're here. <laughs> I hate saying it out loud because it's so sad. We're here more than we're anywhere else. 100%. Right? Because we're here 45, 50 hours a day. A week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a day sometimes. That's great. Yeah, we're here 45 to 50 hours a week. That means that we have, what, let's call it three to four hours at home a day, and then you have the weekend, but then right. you're going to sleep, right? So the reality is that I am I am in this building more than I am anywhere else. So this better be freaking amazing because I, if I'm going to spend that much time and energy getting to know people... Like standing, you know, because you're at a family gathering, it's like, how's the work? How's work going? You know, like if if this part of my life is going to take up this much space, time, energy, emotional space, you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> it has to be good, and it has to be something that is enjoyable. Yeah, it has to feel like a part of your life, not something that you have to do yes. to make it through life. I don't. I know I'm like. Sometimes my energy is too high. I get that. <laughs> but, like, I, I genuinely wake... My alarm goes off in the morning, and yes, my first instinct is like, oh, man, it'd be nice to sleep in a little bit. For sure. But then once I get up and get going, like, I never regret or dread coming here. You know? I'm sure people have that. But I think, I mean, if you work here and you do have that, no, we're trying to fix that. Right. Right? Because... It's the things of like having our leadership meetings, telling managers like, hey, are you taking care of your teams? It's doing the small little birthday anniversary gifts, stuff about running around the shop, you know, getting the morale up. Like these are all things that take time, right? Because they say it takes three years to change a culture. Right. We're nine months in. Yeah, I feel like we are cruising. Right. I think we're cruising too, but I also think... Look at what's happened in nine months. So if you're not going to wait it out till two years, like the trajectory right now is telling me that something really amazing and cool is going to happen here. Right. You know, which I do think is a big, I mean, that's kudos to Chris and Holly and their dad, obviously, for 
bringing in the right people on the team. Like it's all about. I always say like it's all about having the right people on the bus. Right? Right. I'm sure you could say that even downstairs. Like if you have the right techs in place, I'm guessing you can look at a line of work for the day and go, oh, this job's perfect for this guy. This job's perfect for this guy, etc. Exactly. You know. And now you're now they're starting to enjoy their work more because you're actually caring about the work that they're getting. Yes, and having they have a say now. Like right. before, like most dealerships, I mean, they they thrive on hiring the cheapest labor. So you have I can't even tell you how many times I've had a service writer that was like fresh out of the detail bay or Really? You know, fresh out of McDonald's or something. Sure. And it's zero automotive experience. And now you have them trying to sell jobs mm. that cost $6,000 and they need to explain it right. somewhat well to the customer. Otherwise, the customer is not going to do the job. Now you have no work. So you're right. relying on this person with almost no yeah. experience. And it's... Well, you're relying on that person to feed your family that has no experience, essentially. Exactly. And then that's where the animosity comes in because all of a sudden, you know, especially if they get lazy because they're not getting paid that much. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to understand because you as the tech, you're like, the more I do, the more I make. Mm. So it's like these people, it's like I get paid pretty much the same regardless. Right. Except for some commissions, you know. Yeah. But a lot of them are so used to a lower pay scale anyway they're kind of complacent. Sure. So they don't push as hard. Like I've had it numerous times, you know, it's slow. So I'll do a full inspection on a car, like Mm -hmm. really try to get some good work out of it, you know, because I'm starving over here. Right. And then just the service writer, just to blow it off and never even mention anything to the customer. It's like, dude, I just wasted 20 minutes. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are... I mean, we're 22 minutes in right now, so... I don't want to get too far into it, but I mean, those are the kind of things that I think we should be hitting on when we're talking, like what makes us different. Like great example, my sister looking for a car, right? Looking between seven to 9,000 bucks. That's just a tough price point. I mean, I would say it's not our strong price point. Like I feel like our strong price point is Austin Snyder, our sales manager always says, we sell New like used cars. <laughs> like new? Like used new used cars. cars. <laughs> new like. New like. They're new like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? For sure. And so <clears throat> that that comes with a pretty penny. You know what I mean? Because when I look out on the lot, like you have a lot of rust-free vehicles that you guys have put a ton of work into. Yes. That cosmetically now look great. So they're not really in that price point. But my point is that she's looking for a car in that price point. She brings the cars, I mean, you helped, right? She brings the cars that she's looking for here and says, hey, should I buy this? Right. Right? Now, do we want her to buy a car here? Absolutely. Absolutely we do, right? And that's just because we stand behind what we do, right? Right. It's hard for us to look at a car that we are just very briefly looking at and say, yeah, this is a good buy. Right. We're here, I mean, they're like our kids almost out there. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, you know them like the back of your hand. Right. You know, they you know? one department has touched it in one time or But another. I think that's also what makes us different, right? Like, so you have, you have a customer who's coming in, and sure it's family to me, but still, you have a customer coming in and saying, hey, should I buy this, right? Because right. they trust us, because they know that we try to do, you know, quality work here. And all those kind of things. 
So I feel like that is another thing that does separate us because, I mean, even like for different jobs, I've seen you guys do it. You might say, hey, just a heads up to the customer, this is starting to wear down. You might want to replace this next time you're here. Correct. Where I think sometimes other places go, hey, you should replace it today. But maybe it still has 50% life on it or something like that. Right. You know? So, I mean, you would say that's true of, of us. For sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, we would. I mean, we're a lot more realistic mm. in how we help people out. Yeah. Not to say I've definitely heard of other. It tends to be more in the aftermarket world. People sure. are more willing to be honest with yeah. certain things. But I think a lot of it goes back to the whole. You know, at a lot of dealerships, you got service riders that aren't in the world, Mm. in the automotive field for too long to say. So they may look at it as when we recommend like, hey, they're going to need this in a little bit. Mm -hmm. They may look at it as because they have no experience like, oh, you need this right now. Right. Well, then the customer, if they're handy or something, looks at their car like, my service driver just said I needed oil cooler lines and there's just a little seep and no drip sure. or nothing. It's like, I could have drove on this for two months when I got yeah. a paycheck, right? you know, or some money saved up. Right. And I think that's why most people don't love going to dealerships. Exactly. You know, cause it's like, I'm going here just to get my brakes done and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, Hey, by the way, yeah. Here's another thousand dollars of things that we would like to do today. It just, it, that's what, I, I don't know why, but it always seems like when you come to a dealership, that's what happens. It's like, I'm bringing my car here, it's going to be a thousand bucks. I'm bringing my car here, it's going to be a thousand bucks. Where here, I feel like it's a little bit more like, <clears throat> hey, we're going to do the brakes, heads up, might want to save up for this in a couple months, you know. Exactly. Which I think just shows more about who we are. You yeah. Know, that well, we... we Honestly, you can't... A dealership's always going to survive. They have Mm. factory backing, typically, Mm -hmm. who owns the dealership, has millions upon millions of dollars. Sure. The dealerships aren't going to fail. Yeah. No matter how much some people want them to Mm -hmm. fail, crash and burn. Right. uh, It's just not going to happen. It's like, you know, saying the government's going to collapse. Yeah. (laughs) People may think it's going to happen, but there's too much money backing it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So here, you know, being in the aftermarket where you're kind of on your own, you have to be honest. You have to be transparent. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to have someone call you out. Yeah. And that's detrimental. Yeah. Not ideal. I mean, I mean, yeah, go look at our Google reviews. Right? Mm-hmm. So you look at our Google reviews, let's say we have 200, I would guess five out of the 200 are bad. Right. And maybe that's, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios of why that could be, right? But that means that 2% of people that come here are unhappy. Right. I guarantee you, if you go look at other. And then we're not trying to throw their dealerships under the bus or anything. We're just trying to say, like, we are doing our best to still care for people. And, like, right, do community-minded things, like, take care of employees. Like, we are all people at the end of the day. Yes. Right? And so you should be treated just like a normal human being treated, and we're going to do our best not to take advantage of you. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like 
98% of our customers would say that. Yeah. You know, which I would guess is not normal in this industry. But, yeah, I guess it's like we continue to do, you know, this podcast and talk about who we are, what we're doing. I feel like I'm hoping that people continue to see, oh, wow, Price Right Auto is much more than just a dealership service center tire store. Exactly. Right. They're doing things that are helping people, the community, their employees. Yes. All those kind of things. But you have the day off tomorrow. I do. Where are you going? Uh, Going to Ray's Indoor Mountain Bike Park. Where's that? Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, you're going... Weren't you just there like a month ago? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, we're trying to go more, me and a group of guys, just because it's it's honestly a cheap trip. Sure. When you split it up with like four people. Oh, yeah. So, and it's... It kind of takes the winter blues away. Oh, you know? yeah. So then do you ride around here during the summer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Where do you guys do that? Uh, there's a lot of trails around. So oh, we sure. typically mountain bike. We don't BMX too much. You know, we're getting yeah. old. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, that's fun, man. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, kind of your extracurricular activities. Well, I'm trying to have my extracurricular activity not do not be work. <laughs> I agree 100%. Um, like you said this at the beginning, like sometimes my work can be, be my ha- my hobby. Right? You're right. Because I'm trying to learn the industry. So sometimes at night, like I'll spend time like just like trying to research like where the market's going or things like that. But I'm trying to be better at it because my wife is like, do you love work more than me? And I said, no. But is is it could, because you have like a voice now? Like even yeah, in good question. Even in ministry, I know right. like the whole podcast thing, you've always been like the tech guy, never mm. in it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean every job I've ever had I've I've always been like all in. I'm always like I'm gonna do this a hundred percent, you know? And and what happens sometimes is it burns me out. And so Chris and Holly and Steve obviously are really good at saying, "Hey, do like at night." Chris will be like, "Go be with your wife. Go be with your wife. Go be with your wife." Because I think they see that that I that I could burn myself out. Mm-hmm. So extracurricular activities that I have done in the past, I'm trying to get back into. Freshwater fish tanks. <laughs> Freshwater. So like huge tanks. Well, I used to have huge tanks. So what happened was I used to have huge tanks, then we moved down to Chicago, and I had to downsize, obviously, because I went from a, you know, 3,000 square foot home to a 750 square foot apartment. Right. So I and you had like a 600 square foot tank. <laughs> I had, the biggest one I ever had was 55, and like I would always have a couple, because I love to like either grow plants or breed fish or all these kinds of things. So you had like things you couldn't really mix together. Yes. Right. Or like if my, wow, we're getting, this is a fish podcast all of a sudden. (laughs) We'll talk about anything. (laughs) Like my, so currently I have, I just have one 10 gallon. It's small. It's a planted tank and and it has shrimp in it, some quarries and some orange tailed minnows. doesn't matter. I'm getting too in detail about it. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) But um, anyway, that is one of my hobbies that I love to do. And then obviously, I mean, being in Michigan, I feel like winter is always tough, you know, 
because I'd love to be outside around the fire, golf, hundred whatever it is, you know. So I'm. I mean, I know we're all excited for the weather to change, but I mean, I'll play a little PlayStation here and there, little video games. Gamer. Know? Gamer. I'm trying. Well. Got the headset on. <laughs> screaming at some kids. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is screaming at 12 year olds for sure no more like sports games I used to get into Fortnite though yeah oh is that why you got like the little Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> set up over here <laughs> no it's the <laughs> oh my gosh could you imagine if Chris walked up here and I was just like playing Dungeons and Dragons yeah you got like the cone hat on and everything yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cereal box oh <laughs> no but yeah, I mean, so this weekend just, I mean, obviously I'm extroverted, I love to hang out with people, so hanging out with my cousin this week should be fine, but I mean, your your weekend sounds a little bit more exciting, going out of town and all that stuff, but. Yeah, it's supposed to snow here, I think, I Friday-ish. Tomorrow. You so, guys leave tonight? Uh, we leave tomorrow. Oh, nice, nice, nice. We used to do it the first year we went. We woke up at like three or four in the morning, sure. Saturday morning. Drove there, rode all day. I felt sick by the end of it because I was so excited. Oh, yeah. I didn't eat. I didn't, like, drink fluids all day. I was just so excited to be there and see what it had to offer. (laughs) By the time, like, 6 o'clock rolled around, I was sitting down, and I felt like like I was going to pass out. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. So ever since then, we just take a long weekend yeah. and then just get a hotel you know yeah. we're we're adults now so right. we don't have right. to sleep in a car <laughs> you know we work Fair. all week i'm like we'll just split up a hotel right so you guys just go down for one night then uh two nights all so nice. we'll uh so friday night and then saturday night yeah. we'll stay in a hotel nice. and then sunday we just have a leisure like we'll go get breakfast somewhere we've yeah. never been nice. and then just make our way back nice well that'll be fun yeah super excited well We'll do this again next week. Heck yeah, hopefully my stuffiness and I know, I think stuff. I'm starting to catch what you guys got. Oh my gosh, it's been two weeks. And we haven't even, like, I mean, I haven't made out with anybody here and I'm getting sick. Yeah, I mean, Chris made it through. I mean, he's resilient, I guess, because we Chris... make out all the time. <laughs> Don't you think Chris gave it to all of us? Probably. Or did you have it first or did Chris? I think Spencer had it first. Oh, did he? Yeah, because he was sniffling and sneezing and just being miserable for like a, over a week. And I was like, oh, hopefully I don't get that, you know. Right. Normally I'm pretty resilient when yeah. it comes to getting sick. And then all of a sudden I hung out with a friend of mine and his voice sounded funny. And I'm like, man, are you doing all right? He's like, oh, man, my sinuses and everything are all messed up. I'm like, oh, that's like a guy at work. Literally, like, two days later, wake up, sore throat, <laughs> everything's oh, draining, man. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Normally, you kick it in a couple days. Right. No. It's going on two weeks. Well, hopefully next time we're together, we're both a little healthier, but we'll Sounds find good. out. Well, thanks for listening. Is it corny to say, we'll get you back on the road? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. We'll get you back on the road. Bye. All right, we'll see you. <laughs>